It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, July 22nd, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Are you happy with the direction of the country? Some polling indicates you may not be. And some other polling shows many of us are worried about how divided we are. It used to be sort of emotional. It would be like, well, this state is filled with red and blue people, but it's a blue state, but it has a bunch of red people in it. And this state's kind of a red state, but it's got a bunch of blue people in it. But I think they're physically going to have to move at this point. We speak with comedian, author, and podcaster Adam Carolla. I'm Chris Foster. Summertime means stories about shark attacks. For the normal person going to the beach, they really have nothing to worry about um, when it comes to you know interacting with a shark. And I'm Chad Wolf. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Comedian Dave Chappelle's Netflix show that aired last fall has prompted a venue in Minneapolis to cancel his sold-out show this week. Last year, some called for Netflix to pull his special, The Closer, because of comments that upset transgender people. Netflix did not pull the special, and a few weeks after that, before an audience, he said this. But you cannot have this conversation and exclude my voice from it. That is only fair. You have to answer the question, am I canceled or not? Then let's go. Thank you very much, and good night. Now, First Avenue in Minneapolis says they will not have Chappelle perform at the venue, made famous by Prince in his Purple Rain film. In a statement, venue officials wrote, To staff, artists, and our community, we are sorry. We hear you. We have worked hard to make our venues the safest spaces in the country. His show was moved to the Varsity Theater. While some use their anger to get things canceled, that ends up making others angry that something's being canceled. But it turns out the divisions between us are some of our biggest concerns. A couple Fox News polls earlier this year found among voters' top concerns were political divisions. A Monmouth poll earlier this month found 88% of us feel the country's on the wrong track. A CNN poll from this month found most voters think neither Republicans nor Democrats have the right priorities. A Wall Street Journal NORC poll last month found roughly 86% of us think Americans are greatly divided on the most important values. And more than half said they expect those divisions to only get worse. I always say octagons and safe spaces. You know, half the country's running double mass toward a safe space and the other half is doing a tough mudder and putting a lift kit on their Jeep and we're just going in different directions. Adam Carolla is a podcaster, comedian and author of a new book. It's going to kind of hurt people in the middle because I guess people in the middle will need to sort of declare major, pick a side, mm-hmm. go one direction or the other. It's going to create a kind of divide. There'll be People leaving New York and leaving California and going to places like, you know, Florida and Montana. And then there's going to be people who are leaving some of those states and heading to California or New York if they're insane. And that's going to create just a bigger gap. It's just going to spread us out into, you know, a physical red and blue state, whereas it used to be sort of emotional It'd be like, well, this state is filled with red and blue people, but it's a blue state, but it has a bunch of red people in it. And this state's kind of a red state. But it's got a bunch of blue people in it. But I think they're physically going to have to move at this point. It sounds like what you're saying is everything's just become extremely politicized, like down to just 
where you live, how you operate, who you talk to, does that stay? Do, do we stay like that? I mean, you live in Los Angeles. I mean, wh- how has L.A. changed in, in that vein? L.A. is a lot of super rich, kind of elitist, mixed with a real slumdog millionaire kind of poverty, live on the street, kind of surf class, you know, working in the kitchens and mowing the lawns. And it's it's really amazing wealth. Like if you go to Malibu, there are houses on sale in Malibu that are $250 million. Right. And if you want to go down to just over $100 million, there's several in Malibu. Now, if you go over the hill seven miles, you'll be in Sun Valley or Canoga Park, <laughs> and there's people living in Winnebago's that are up on blocks parked on side streets, you know, eating yeah. top ramen. Talk to me about your book, because um, you do talk a bit about some of that in the book, but the title really caught me. Everything reminds me of something. And I I laughed because it's so true, right? But I feel like that kind of sentiment is unique to aging, right? Like the older you get, the more you feel like something reminds you of something. But what is that title about? Yeah, it's a good point. When you're 19, stuff can't remind you of the time you were in Paris with your first wife (laughs) because you didn't have that time. Um, I never really thought of it as an age thing. I just thought of it as... Anytime somebody brought something up or showed me a picture or or I saw a commercial, I would connect it to something. And I I remember thinking I was constantly trying to connect things all the time. Some of it's the aging mind. Some of it's the comedic mind. But I thought everything does remind me of something. And then I thought that's that's an app title for a book where... People are asking questions and I'm being reminded of things and then Ah. giving them answers. Yeah, I was going to add that was my follow up was how does that connect to doling out advice, which is what you do. Advice is a really tricky thing. I think Uh, a lot of people do not want it and can't hear it. But you might be in maybe a really unique position for some of us because we we gladly listened when you were doing uh, Loveline with Dr. Drew years ago. I listened personally as a teenager often in Los Angeles. Did that part of your past have anything to do with sort of writing a Dear Abby style book? Yeah, although I was afflicted with that disease before that show, (laughs) and maybe that's why I ended up on that show. I don't know if that show created it or I just thought that way and that's why I turned out to be a good fit for Loveline but I was always connecting things before that and then I guess I got on that program and for two hours a night I was trying to connect things and then all comedy is is really trying to connect things and if they make sense they land and everyone laughs and if they're confusing Nobody laughs. So if you go, that guy looks exactly like John Goodman. If John Goodman was a woman or something, and if it if it works, everyone will erupt in laughter. But if you're wrong, everyone will look at it and go, huh? And that's what you never want. <laughs> I know you probably don't want to give away your, your best like nuggets in the book, but do you have, I guess, a favorite either question or a favorite answer? that you delivered that you can share like some of with us well i wrote the book 
I don't know, nine months ago. I can never remember all the stuff I've written in the book, but I, I do remember somebody asking the question of why is it that in 2022, with the very progressive nature of our society now, depicted in many Subaru commercials, why is it <laughs> to this day do you only exclusively see men riding motorcycles with the woman on the back of the motorcycle? <laughs> Shouldn't it be 50-50 now? And now, it used to be when I was growing up, the men were driving the car and the women were the passengers. But now it's 50-50. It's and it's 50-50 with many facets of life. I, I remember thinking, I've never thought about that. <laughs> that is a very good question. But you're right. It's 2022. This is unchanged. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I thought, there must be a reason. And I thought, hmm, the couples I'm talking about that are more progressive that would have the woman with their hands on the handlebars and the guy behind them are a more modern, progressive, evolved couple. Those couples, they're scared people. What I've noticed about a lot of sort of modern, progressive people is they're scared people. They don't let their kids go out and climb trees. They don't let them ride a bike without a helmet. And so those people who would have the woman in front and the guy in back are too scared to own a motorcycle. So they're gone. And all that there is is the old school people who aren't fear-based, but who are traditional. Did you run your response by any psychologists or any professionals or that you're just sticking with that as the correct answer? That's the beauty of me. Once <laughs> I decide it is, it is. And I, it I, I wouldn't is. even want to be muddied with uh of psychologists. There's no possible <laughs> way it could be anything other than this. The most modern evolved couples I know are way too scared to own a motorcycle or go anywhere near one, especially the guys. I, I want to ask you about this part of the book. You are asked about solving long-term problems and you do bring up my home state of California as an example of a place that just can't seem to solve problems anymore. What are the, I guess, in your mind, the biggest issues or what is stopping people from solving them? Because it, California is run largely by Democratic leaders. Right. And when you have everybody sort of in agreement. Right. You would think that, you know, you could just make decisions. I think California is, you know, there's kind of feminine and masculine states like Florida is a more masculine state and California is very feminine and the feminine states want to sit down and really talk about everything more in the vein of the wife wants to sit and talk about it. And the guy's like, let's go, let's get started. Let's start building that tree house, you know, and they both serve a purpose, but if they get lopsided too far, one direction, then things don't get done in California is really a feminine state where we want to talk it into the ground. And that's what we do. We just sit and talk about it and make a proclamation and talk about it some more. And it's not really going to change until we get some masculine blood in there who's like, we got a problem. Let's fix it. Let's go. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Just a couple of more for you. Um, a lot of comedians, and you are one, have spoken out about what they call cancel culture and some of those who push back against that say you know 
you just don't want to be held accountable. You just want to say what you want without any accountability. What do you make of, of people saying that, you know, you just don't want to be held held accountable for what you said? Yeah, well, I don't know where the accountability comes in, you know, as it pertains to comedy, because you're telling jokes. So where where's the accountability part come in? You know, for me, the accountability is like when you have experts saying, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop is, uh, has all the earmarks of Russian collusion or something like that. Like, those are the experts. Comedians aren't experts, you know. So hold the experts to be accountable. I'm all for it. Comedians are making jokes, so they don't need to be held accountable because they're not making policy. Adam, does the pendulum swing back? Like, will there be a time, maybe in our lifetimes, where there's more like ease and comfort among and between people where everything is not so politicized and how do we how do we get to that place are we just do we just need to go through whatever we're going through some sort of metamorphosis as a society or something yeah i mean at cer- certain point people hit their saturation level and they just get burnt out or tired of you know hearing the same thing or arguing about the same thing and at some point god willing people sort of turn the page and get back to focusing on sports and, <laughs> you know, cars and uh, whatever the, the bygone era subjects were. Well, maybe it won't be a bygone era. Maybe it'll be like a new, a, a new time. Um, lastly, what do you hope people come away from this book with? I never really go into it with that. I'm just like, I want to write a funny book. And if people want to laugh, they should buy this book and it'll be funny. And my other books have been funny. And if it made them think a little or made them hand it to somebody and go, hey, I think you're going to like what this guy's saying or it wasn't a waste of my $24 or (laughs) just any of the above, I'll be satisfied. Adam Carolla, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Chad Wolf with your Fox News commentary coming up. There have been a couple dozen shark attack bites so far this year in the United States, with the most in Florida, followed by New York. I'm trusting the uh, the lifeguards and the drones and the and the county to to keep an eye out for the sharks because I'm planning on swimming today. Are That's you? why I'm here. <laughs> a half dozen people have been killed by sharks this year in other countries. Attacks were up to normal levels last year, 137 investigated by the Florida Museum of Natural History after 2020 when fewer people were in the water because of coronavirus shutdowns. And this year, like a lot of summers, they're back in the news. Sharks are so polarizing that this time of the year, everyone gets really agitated. Dr. James Selikowski is a shark researcher at Arizona State University. Right now, I mean, if you look at what's happening, right, there's been a lot of incidents piled on top of one another. But in the big picture, we have to really see what happens. You know, I think that we're in a, a pattern where there is more people on the water. They're looking. We have better technology. And it just so happens that, you know, that feeds into, you know, an incident where there's a little bit more bites. 
right? And people jump on that. But right now, it's too early to say if we're in a, an area or a season where there's going to be more interactions. What's the health of the species these days? Are there more sharks than there used to be? Was there, was there a point where there was some endangerment? How, how, how are the sharks doing the, uh, now? Yeah, I mean, it's really species specific. Um, the National Marine Fishery Service uh, regulates all shark kind of fishing activities in the United States. And there are some species that are uh, doing well, uh, they're recovering, uh, and there's others that are um, still need our help. So um, is that playing a role? Uh, you know, again, it's too early to tell. Um, is there anything to the idea that water's warmer, water's heating up, and that may be changing there? their feeding habits? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Um, so there's been research that suggests that sharks can extend their range, right, with climate change, warmer waters, they can go into new habitat, habitats and check it out. What we don't know, and there's no real data to suggest that sharks are moving closer to shore, right, um, just, you know, as part of their normal distribution patterns. But what might be happening is that their food sources, right, are coming closer to shore. Right. They're following their food sources in, you know, we're in the water, we're splashing around, you know, we're wearing shiny objects, uh, sharks get distracted, they get confused, uh, you know, they take a nibble, find out that we're not what they want, and then they kind of bolt off. Yeah, sharks don't know what people are and don't care what people are. I mean, that's that was my next question. What do they think we are? Do they think that we're, do they know enough to, to think, oh, that's a seal, or, or was it just curiosity about this thing that's moving around? Yeah, it's a lot of that curiosity, mistaken identification. I mean, if you look at these coastal areas where there's a lot of people in the water, New York, North Carolina, um, Florida, uh, the sharks that are typically in those waters are these five to six foot sandbar sharks, black tip sharks, ones that have these really sort of smaller pointy teeth that when they take a, a nibble, you know, our skin is so soft, it leaves all these puncture wounds. Um, so uh, I think that for the most part, we're a mistaken identity. I mean, when you hear a, a fatality, it's typically in an area where there are large sharks uh, and large sharks are looking to, to find food. Um, and we just happen to get in the crossfires. When most people think of a shark or a fatal shark attack, they think of great whites. Is that... Is that a fair uh, accusation to make on great white sharks? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look, white sharks are so charismatic and they've been getting a lot of press lately um, because they do come really close to shore. But I mean, if you were to spread it out kind of globally, tiger sharks, bull sharks uh, and, and white sharks, they're the ones that typically when you talk about fatalities, those are the ones that are that are really involved in that. Let's say you are at a beach that, you know, is isn't so shark infested that's known about that it's closed, but you've still got concerns. You saw stories on TV. You'd rather not get bitten. Um, what do you do? What do you tell people? Yeah. I mean, look, first is education. You know, the lifeguards are, are aware uh, of the situation. You know, they're looking for sharks. Uh, so law enforcement. So there's a really good system um, to keep people safe. And it all comes down to really what is an individual comfortable with? I mean, the chances of you or any other person interacting with a shark in the water just under normal conditions is so rare. I mean, the stats are just not in the favor for that to happen. I mean, look, the reality is, is you have a better chance of being bit by another person than you do by a shark. Yeah. And, you know, winning the lottery, getting hit by lightning, all those statistics that we 
yeah. that we use. Um, why shark attacks are more common in the U.S. than any other country? Are sharks just more native to here? Is it something about our weather or our coastline? No, we're a coastal, you know, human race. We love being in the water at certain times of the year. And what tends to happen is that you have lots of people in the water at times of the year when it just so happens that that's when sharks are making their their migrations or their movement patterns. So it's kind of like a perfect storm. We're in the water at times when there may be the largest uh, aggregation of sharks. And so I think that has a lot to do with um, our our interactions. Uh, the Selikowski Lab is at Arizona State University. First of all, um, I don't think of Arizona as a hotbed for <laughs> sharks or skates or, yeah, or rays. Um, yeah, um, what's what's the deal there? Are they, are they just the ones that ponied up the money for the for the for the funding for your research? Right. No. So, well, sort of. I mean, look, they're number number one for innovation. Um, and if anything's possible, is you can make it happen. Um, but we get a lot of uh, funding from grants. Um, we get donations. Um, we work with a pet food company, Earthly, uh, that supports our work. So it, it comes from a variety of different places. But I mean, look, ASU is a, a big place, a big name. It puts us in locations in Mexico, um, Caribbean. It's a great central spot for us. And um, it's a great university. Uh, I, I guess you, you tracked a great white uh, that came from North Carolina. Tell me about the tracking process and are we tracking more sharks now and what can we learn? Yeah. From yeah. No, I, you know, these are great questions because it comes down to education uh, and, and education is spawned by research and understanding. And you get that from tracking sharks and other animals to find out where they go, when they go, why they're going there. And combination of multiple techniques is the best way to do it. Look, you know, we can use an ultrasound on a shark to tell if it's pregnant. Um, and if we put a tracker on that shark, we can tell where it goes. And if it's going to give birth in an arrow, there's lots of people, you know, we can uh, educate the public and how to be safe. But the tracking is sophisticated now. I mean, it's satellite telemetry. It's acoustic telemetry. Um, Bobby E is an amazing shark. Uh, he's carrying three different types of tags. Uh, he's carrying a fin mount tag, which is um, amazing in that every time his fin comes out of the water, he transmits a location. Uh, and that's where we're getting all the good data right now from his movement in, in Maine. And so that's when we talk about public safety and these sharks come to the service, we know exactly where he is at that time um, within a few meter radius. It's awesome. Yeah. And when he's, when he's below the surface, you know, we've got other tags that can track where he's at too. Um, so it's a really good way of understanding their habitat. How long do great whites live? I assume longer than maybe some other species. Yeah, I mean, the current data, it, you know, have has them around seventy years, but I'm sure they they kind of live older. I mean, they're a long-lived species, and I think most people don't understand they're a lot like us. You know, sharks in general don't reach maturity till late in life. They don't reproduce many offspring, um, so they can really be depleted quickly. Do sharks run in schools, or are they really just sort of once they're you know maybe they've become sexually mature and, and, and knock out some kids. Are they just sort of on their own swimming around for decades? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. They segregate by size and by sex a lot, for a lot of time of the year. Um, so you've got females hanging out with each other. You've got babies hanging out with each other. You've got males kind of packing up. And, you know, they form these sort of loose aggregations. Most species do. And that's kind of what we see in these migration patterns. You know, all the drone footage, you know, off of Florida, North Carolina, or wherever, and you see all these sharks kind of in the water. They're just scoping around, you know, looking for food and trying to make a living. 
Finally, do you think that just wrapping it up from where we started, um, is there an overreaction? I understand that you know local news is going to be local news, and but there's also you have to balance that with safety. Do you think that we're doing a good job in balancing those things and keeping swimmers and boaters and whoever safe? Well, I think that it's a mix, right? I mean, look, the media loves stories, and sharks are a great polarizing story, um, and they always have been since Jaws. I think that for a lot of it, it gets a little bit inflated. Um, and you look at the statistics, right? But information, I think, can help with safety. And so whenever there is an incident, you know, letting the public know uh, where and when and, and the precautions to take, I think, are really important. But for the normal person going to the beach, they really have nothing to worry about. Um, when it comes to, you know, interacting with a shark, if they, you know, follow the golden rules of, um, you know, don't swim at dawn and dusk, you know, don't wear shiny materials, don't go where sharks are feeding, um, you know, the chances of interacting are extremely low. Uh, there was an urban legend I know when I was a kid, not that I did a lot of um, or any deep water swimming. Uh, you see a great white shark, you punch him in the nose. I assume that's just going to mess up your hand, right? You know, they sharks that's a lot of sensory receptors in in their nose uh you know they've got electroreception uh, they've got you know the sense of smell um so and their eyes are right there they're not used to things pushing back to a certain degree so look if if, if you have an opportunity to to push something away or, or sort of or, or nudge it or bump it um it's going to take it out of its feeding sort of mode but Oftentimes, we have no idea that that shark is there. And, you know, it happens so quickly. I mean, look, some of these animals can swim 40, 50 miles an hour in the water. Okay. So I probably won't get a chance to ever punch a shark in the nose. No. But, if it, but if it comes up, uh, you, yeah. you'd, advise yeah. me, push, you'd advise maybe giving kick. it a shot. Yeah. Push, kick, you know, anything you can do to disrupt its sort of feeding behavior. And then, you know, go to shore. Dr. James Silikowski uh, runs the Silikowski Lab at Arizona State University. James, uh, thanks for talking to us. Hey, thanks for having me. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. Jeremy Miller is the Minnesota State Senate Majority Leader. He's also a dad who likes to go fishing with his sons. So when they grabbed their fishing poles and went to a pier in Lake Winona in Winona, Minnesota recently, they were hoping to pull some sunfish and maybe a bass or two out of the water. What the boys didn't expect was that their dad would rescue a person from it. Jeremy told me they were fishing from that pier when they saw a canoe capsize, sending two people into the water. That's when Jeremy went into action. I turned to my three boys and I said, they are in trouble. I'm going in after them. So I rushed uh, off the pier to the shore, took my hat and T-shirt off, laced up my shoes and uh, jumped in the water, swam out to the canoers. And just in time, too. When he arrived, one of the canoers was struggling and winded. Turns out he couldn't swim. I put his arm around my neck and shoulder, put one of my arms around 
his neck and shoulder and use my other arm and my legs to uh, swim him back to shore safely. The two people from the canoe are okay now. Jeremy told me he's never had any formal lifeguard training, but he's no stranger to the water. Swim lessons as a kid and then just uh, swimming on on a fairly regular basis and then training for different competitions when I was participating in triathlons. He's been called a hero for his actions, but he told me he just did what needed to be done. I'm just happy and and thankful that we were able to to rescue him and, and get him back to shore safely. That's the most important thing. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. What's on your mind? On September 19th, 2021, photographers captured images of Border Patrol agents on horseback patrol trying to prevent illegal aliens from crossing the border near Del Rio, Texas. To any reasonable person, the photos showed Border Patrol agents controlling their horses in rough terrain while trying to prevent the rush of Haitian migrants from getting past them. The only thing newsworthy about the photos at the time should have been a visual confirmation of a border crisis driven by eight months of the new administration's refusal to enforce immigration laws. Instead, the Biden administration jumped to politically convenient yet incorrect conclusions and vilified Border Patrol agents for doing their job. In lockstep with the mainstream media, the Biden administration immediately amplified a lie that the Border Patrol agents were whipping the illegal aliens. President Joe Biden said, it's horrible what you saw to see people like they did with horses running them over, people being strapped, it's outrageous. Vice President Kamala Harris said, as we all know, it invoked images of some of the worst moments of our history. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas added that the images troubled me profoundly and that one cannot weaponize a horse against illegal aliens trying to cross the border. This rush to judgment and mischaracterization of the Border Patrol's actions was disgraceful. The agents themselves and the photographer who snapped the now infamous picture immediately stated that no whipping occurred. The DHS Office of Inspector General immediately refused to take on the case, and the U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Texas declined to take up the case for prosecution in March of this year. The story doesn't end there. The president went even further when he added, I promise you, those people will pay. There is an investigation underway right now, and there will be consequences. Recently, the result of a 10-month investigation by the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol Office of Professional Responsibility was finally released. The resulting 511-page report fully exonerates the Border Patrol of the whipping hoax, declaring there is no evidence that Border Patrol agents involved in this incident struck, intentionally or otherwise, any migrant with their reins. Yet the agents were faulted with administrative violations, including yelling at illegal aliens to stop and using the wrong radio frequency for communicating with the patrol station. Essentially, The Border Patrol is blamed for the unlawful actions of the migrants. Unfortunately, this assault is not the first or the last time for this administration. For months, Border Patrol agents have been asking for effective policies to help end this historic border crisis. Yet month after month, they receive little to no help from their political leadership, and morale is at an all-time low. The current political leadership delivers no real solutions to assist the Border Patrol with their job and doubles down on failed policies that actually make their job even harder. Even the most highly trained law enforcement officers cannot perform at their best in an environment where they are understaffed, overworked, and underappreciated. Leading a law enforcement agency like the U.S. Border Patrol takes special care and judgment. 
politics should never take precedent over upholding and defending the law. We must return to a time when Border Patrol agents feel empowered to do their jobs and have the support of their leadership, regardless of politics. When leaders make law enforcement decisions to placate political agendas, the result is what you are experiencing today, a never-ending assault on the Border Patrol and the fallout that naturally accompanies it. This is Chad Wolf, former acting U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security and the Executive Director and Chief Strategy Officer of the America First Policy Institute. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.